Please pray with me. God, we just come into your presence, and we need your peace. So will you just come and invade our space, invade our hearts, and deliver to us the thing which you most want to give us. We invite you to be here to speak to us, to use me despite me. We trust you, God, to give us what we need, and we surrender ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Peace. Isn't that the thing that we want the most? We put it on our Christmas cards. We put it on our billboards. People sing joy to the world. They don't even know what it means because we want peace. I watched a Christmas movie recently, and it was talking about how hard it is to find that peace because this one day a year, Christmas, we're supposed to put away all our problems and manufacture all of these good things and try to be peaceful. But that's just not how peace works. Peace isn't something that you conjure up and you just make happen, and everything during Christmas time seems to be against us. For example, we think to ourselves, I'm going to give people presents, and when I give them presents, it's going to look like this. When I hand them the present, it's going to be beautifully wrapped, and it's going to be gorgeous, and ladies, my nails will even be done like in this picture. But somehow, it ends up like this and we run out of wrapping paper, and the thing shows, and you just end up putting an angry meme on it that says, close enough, just be grateful you got a present, all right? And then we think to ourselves, oh, I'm gonna get together for family dinner, and it's gonna be so nice, and everyone's gonna get together, and grandpa's gonna smile, and everything's gonna be good. But the minute after the picture is taken, it looks like this. Dad's throwing his napkin, someone has made some kind of offensive, like racist comment, and everyone's looking at them like, what is wrong with you? And all the Christmas festivities, and mom has worked so hard to make it good, and it all goes down the toilet, and she says, you don't appreciate anything I do, right? Sometimes that happens during Christmas. Or we think to ourselves, I'm going to go shopping. I'm going to go Christmas shopping, and I'm going to look all cute with my Santa hat and my credit card and my bags over my shoulders, right? We're going to go Christmas shopping for presents. And instead, it looks like this, right? People are shoving you out of the way at the stores. And even worse, you get to the parking lot, and it looks like that. And you're that guy just like, I give up. I'm walking away. I cannot even handle this. You know, I was at the mall last year, last-minute Christmas shopping, and all of a sudden, this huge fight broke out. And this guy, like this big guy, is wailing on this other equally big guy, punching him in the face, in the mall. And everyone gets in a circle, but nobody does anything. And I'm like, I can't do anything because five feet, right? (laughs) And we finally found out what happened. This other guy bumped into the big guy's bag, and it ripped a little. So he got mad and started punching him in the face. Because this is Christmas chaos. We can't even handle it. It's so stressful. And not even just shopping and cooking. You know, we think of all these great recipes we're gonna make. And my husband and I, we just got married last year. It's our second Christmas together. We have double the relatives. And I think to myself, I'm gonna make all these great things until I'm peeling and I'm chopping and I only have four burners and one oven and I'm so mad because it takes so long to make these things I wanna make. But this is what we do. We think to ourselves, I'm gonna have the best Christmas ever. And then all of these things just hit us. And not just the preparations, but then there's the inside things too. The fact that when we get together with family, with their passive aggressive comments and other things that they say to us, it can be really hurtful. Or maybe we're looking at a Christmas and someone that we love isn't here to celebrate with us this time. Maybe they're far away or maybe they've passed away. And instead of Christmas being this time of peace, sometimes it feels more chaotic 
and everything is inconvenient and stressful and unplanned and lonely and scary and dysfunctional and somehow peace in the midst of all of those things just does not seem attainable. So how is this possible? It says in the Bible that we're supposed to have peace, that God came to earth to bring peace. But why is it then that there is so much chaos? Today, I want to invite you to look at the Christmas story with me. Once again, a familiar story, maybe you've heard many times, but to look at it with new eyes. Only one time in the Christmas story is peace mentioned. I don't know why we make it such a big deal now, because the one time it's mentioned, it doesn't even mean what we think it means. So I invite you to come with me to the Christmas story and look at all the chaos that happened when Jesus came into the world. And maybe how Mary and Joseph and all those people who experienced chaos, maybe how they dealt with it, is a little bit of how God invites us to deal with all of the Christmas and holiday stress and chaos in our lives. So I invite with you to turn to me to the book of Luke chapter 1, and we will start with verse 28. Luke chapter 1, 28. It reads, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at the angel's words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Imagine if an angel shows up to you and says, you know that long-awaited savior you've been waiting for for thousands of years? You're the one. You're the one who's gonna deliver him. To us, because we so have heard of Mary being very revered, we might think to ourselves, oh, that would be great. That would be awesome. Except that wasn't Mary's response. She was greatly distressed and troubled, which tells me that sometimes God comes into our lives and it's not peaceful. Sometimes he shows up and starts saying stuff that stresses us out. He points out things that are going on in our lives and says, I have something different to offer you, but it's not going to be easy. But he gives us an assurance. So before we go into this story where the real chaos begins, God has an assurance for you and for me. He says, don't be afraid because you, you are highly favored. You are so beloved by God. So when what you're going through, that favor will not go away and I am with you. That's always his promise. You are favored no matter what you do. You can't make me stop loving you. And I am with you. No matter what chaos you face, no matter what risks you take, no matter if you fail and what you go through, I am with you. And she needs to hear this because she's about to take on some serious risk. It's more than just that she was a teenage mom and people were gonna think badly of her. In this time and space, she's engaged to Joseph, and an engagement at that time was just as binding as a marriage. They would have to actually get divorced. And it's not like how people get divorced now and the two make a decision. Divorce was a family affair. It's something of shame. And more than that, in the book of Deuteronomy, what it tells us is if she is found pregnant outside of marriage, Joseph has the right to expose her to the entire community and stone her to death. That is the punishment. He has every right to drag her in front of everybody and say, this woman, we had a contract. One year, I've been building a house. I've been getting ready for our future. I've been planning what our lives are gonna look like, and she messed it up. He has every right, according to scripture, according to the law, to put her to death. 
That's what she's risking. And God comes to her and says, risk all of it. I know that you had plans for your life. I know you were gonna get married and have 2.5 kids and live life happily ever after. But I invite you right now to do something different. And yeah, he explains it to her, but we never understand stuff God explains to us. Let's get real. And I mean, the whole time that she's raising Jesus, she doesn't even know what she's doing. She's confused about him being about his father's work. She never really understands what her role is. So God asks her to give up her future, give up her dreams, give up her security, put her life on the line to say yes to him. This is the invitation that God gives to Mary. And she has a question. How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And this is part of it. When God comes into our lives, he's not saying, hey, can I be your sidekick? Hey, can I be your co-pilot? Hey, can I be part of your party? No. He says, when I show up, I'm the king above all kings. Will you allow me to overshadow you? Will you let me be the biggest thing in the room? Will you let my glory be the thing that's most important? He says, the power of the Most High will overshadow your life. That's the invitation he has for us today. And this was her answer in the face of all of that risk and all of the things that she might face. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. This is such an incredible statement of faith. Could you make it? I don't think I could. Faced with an engagement and a life that I planned and something that I wanted and knowing that no matter if Joseph believed me, and things went well that everyone in my community would forever think badly of me and always have that question. Because who's even gonna believe virgin birth, right? No one will ever believe that. We believe it because we've heard about it all our lives. They had never heard of it ever. Like, they had never heard of it. It's something that would be so hard to give up. And we know that because there are areas in our lives where God is constantly asking us to surrender. To say, God, whether or not you give me this dream, I want this so badly. I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want the job that will make me feel fulfilled. I want people to like me. I want people to appreciate me. I have this dream. God, I want my finances to be in order. I want to have my life planned out for 10 years. We have all of these things that we hold on to. But God is always asking us the question, what if I ask it from you? Like Pastor Milton talked about last week, what if he asks? And God's invitation to Mary is the same invitation he has to us. Would you give it to me? If I never gave you what you asked for, would you still trust me? If my path to fulfilling the destiny and plan I have for you means walking through pain and experiencing chaos, would you allow me to do it? You know, even those of us who have given our lives to God, we've gotten baptized, we've done the whole thing, we struggle to do this. We struggle when it really comes down to it. When I was at PUC, I worked in the chaplain's office for three years, and I worked closely with the missions director. And it always, it's not surprising, but it always kind of surprised me anyways. Because whenever students would come in, they would feel a call from God to go sometimes to the furthest reaches of the world to tell people about God. But their number one obstacle, not just in our universities, not just in Adventist universities, but all over the world, the number one obstacle for Christian college students to go and tell people about Jesus is Christian parents. Christian parents who might even say, because I would hear this all the time in the office, I believe God is calling you, but I just can't let you go. 
I'm afraid that if I trust you to God, if I trust my child to God, if I trust my finances to God, if I trust my future to God, if I trust my relationships with God, I'm afraid he won't take care of it. This is the challenge and the struggle that we have. Sometimes that's why we have so much chaos even in Christmas time because we decide this is how my life is gonna be. This is how my Christmas is gonna look. And if it doesn't, then it's God's fault and I'm mad at him. I will not accept anything less than my expectations of perfection. Paul David Tripp has something really interesting but challenging to say about these expectations. He says it's not wrong to desire personal happiness, peace, a healthy body, and healthy relationships. The issue is this, these things must not rule our hearts because when they do, we put ourselves in the center. We decide for ourselves what we want life to be like and we reduce God to little more than the delivery system for our catalog of self-oriented dreams. Friends, this is what happens when we have areas of our lives that we don't want to surrender to God, even good areas. They become our idols. They become the thing that blocks us from God, that blocks us from receiving peace. We are kidding ourselves if we think that we're gonna have God's peace this Christmas when we are knowingly and willingly withholding something from him. And sometimes that even means the very life and existence that we live. What if God said, my plan for you right now is for you to experience this and to hurt? What if God said, my plan is for chaos and for difficulty because I'm taking you somewhere greater than you could ever imagine? Would we say yes? And this is the challenge that he has for us. But the problem with it is that if Mary had never surrendered to God's plan for her life, Jesus would not have been born. At least he would not have been born through her. Surrender always, always, always precedes Jesus' appearance into our lives. Without surrender, without Mary's surrender, Jesus could not have been born through her. And without our surrender of those things and those idols that we love so much, Without our surrender, God can never come into our lives and give us the peace that he so badly wants to give us. Sometimes we tell ourselves that surrender is like defeat. Well, if I surrender, you know, like you put up your hands and you surrender to someone, but it really isn't defeat. Surrendering to God is allowing him to empower us with all the good things and power that he has to live the lives that he wants. In fact, E. Stanley Jones says, if you don't surrender to Christ, you surrender to chaos. However, the good news is that if you have surrendered to God, you don't have to fear the chaos that ensues from surrendering to anything else. You know what this tells me? There will always be chaos. Whether or not we surrender to God, we'll surrender to something. We're gonna surrender to our ego or our desire to be rich or our fear of what people think of us and the opinions of others. We will always surrender to something. But when we surrender to God, we don't have to fear the chaos that comes from surrendering to anything else. But you know what? Just because you surrender to God doesn't mean that there's not gonna be chaos. Because as difficult as this was for Mary to surrender, she's probably thinking to herself, I surrendered, nothing's gonna be good. But that's not what happened. And we know because in the book of Matthew, it tells us Joseph's story. And this is what it says, Matthew 1, 19 through 21. Joseph finds out that she's pregnant. 
And it reads, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. I love Joseph. He's so the forgotten guy of the Christmas story. He doesn't even have any talking parts. But this is a man of God. This is a man of God. And we know this because it says that he was faithful to the law, and yet he didn't want to expose her. What this tells me, a lot of times when you know, we watch the, the Bible movies, the angel shows up to Mary, and then she gets pregnant, and then she goes and sees Joseph. It seems like it happens really fast. But what this tells me is that there was a significant period of time between the angel sh- when the angel showed up to Mary and when Joseph, the angel showed up to Joseph. And in that space and time, Joseph had no reason to believe, no reason to believe that Mary hadn't cheated on him. He had no reason to believe that he hadn't been betrayed. And I think to myself, you know, God could have come in the space and he could have shown up to them at the same night and made everything good. God totally could have lessened his anxiety. But friends, God, God's number one priority is not to lessen our anxiety. God's number one priority is not to make us comfortable. It might be our number one priority to avoid pain, but God's number one priority is to make us more like him. The thing that God wants most is for our character to reflect his. And for Joseph, this space and time of Joseph believing he was betrayed and trying to figure out what to do, he had enough time to think about what he was gonna do. This space and time was so important for Joseph because it was gonna reveal what kind of man Joseph was. I believe God was testing this man. Of all the men in the world that would ever live in the world, this is the man that God chose to raise Jesus. And he, maybe he wanted to know, and he wanted Joseph to know, what would he do? What kind of man is this in the midst of betrayal and hurt as he watched her stomach grow every day? And he watched the neighbors begin to talk in their small community. And he saw everybody looking at him with pity because he'd been building a house and making plans. And now the woman he was gonna marry has cheated on him. He has been disgraced and ashamed and embarrassed. And what is he gonna do? And Joseph does not fulfill his rights. He does not shame her. He does not condemn her. And I don't think it's an accident that 33 years later, Jesus would be standing in a very similar position with a woman in front of him, deserving to be stoned. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Could Jesus have been that kind of human? Because he was human too. If he didn't have a father that was like that. You see, when God tests us, he's not trying to make us fail or show, show him who we are. Sometimes God is trying to show us who we are, trying to allow us to see who we are and the choices that we make in the midst of struggle. And the choice that Joseph made was to be a righteous person. And more than that, he had already made up his mind, this is what I'm gonna do about this situation. But then an angel shows up and says, no, I want you to do something differently. It doesn't make sense. It's completely illogical, completely irrational, and no one will ever believe you. But I want you to take her as your wife. How many of us, when we've already made a decision, will change our minds? Nobody. I've already decided, especially I'm hurt, I made a decision, and God says, no, change your mind, and he says this. Actually, he doesn't say anything at all because Joseph doesn't talk in this story. Matthew 1, 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. And we'll see later in the story that when this baby is born, this baby doesn't have a father, 
but he names him Jesus. And by naming him, he legally bestows, he legally bestows adoption on Jesus. And he says, I claim you as my son. I have every reason logically to believe you are another man's son and this woman has cheated on me, but I claim you as my son. Jesus was claimed through adoption into the line of David, just as you and I are claimed through adoption into the family of God. God allowed Joseph to reflect and experience the heart of God. It's incredible. But it shows us the answer to this question, how will I know if I've truly surrendered? Right, because sometimes we can surrender something, then we pick it up, and then we surrender it, and we pick it up. And this is really the test of our surrender. The test of our surrender is obedience. When we have surrendered to God, and God makes clear to us what he wants us to do, because God is clear, he's not playing games, he's not trying to mess around with you. The times that he seems silent, it's for a purpose too. When we hear from God, the test of our surrender is our obedience. Obedience, an act or instance of obeying submission to another's authority. Ooh, submission to another's authority. We hate that word, submission to another's authority. But that's what Mary and Joseph did. They said, you know what? I had plans for my life, and I wanted it to go this way. But you are not my delivery system for the stuff I want. You are my king. I'm your servant. Let it be to me as you will. I will do what you say. And that is what God asks us to do this morning, to not to harm us, not to hurt us. He's told us already, you are highly favored. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. I will always be with you. I just need you to give this to me first. This week, a couple from our church took my husband and I to a concert as a Christmas gift. It was a Chris Tomlin concert. And Chris Tomlin, you know his songs, How Great Is Our God, and all of these other things. He's the worship leader of America. He told this story that was just the most hilarious illustration of obedience I'd ever heard. He says that as he was growing up in his small town community in Texas, there was only one house in the whole neighborhood that ever put up lights. But the lights that they put up were the most beautiful, extravagant lights ever. And he said his family was pretty cheap and they didn't want to buy lights. So their family tradition was every year they would drive about 45 minutes to the house with lights. And they would drink hot chocolate and look at the house with lights. And that's what they would do. They did it every year. until, And every year, like, the displays got bigger and bigger and more majestic. Until one year they showed up and there was this really big line. And he's like, oh, everyone has found out. And finally, they wait 45 minutes in line, and they get near the front, and they realize why it's taking so long. Because there's a man standing outside the house holding a bucket. And his dad starts to rage. He says, this is what's wrong with Christmas. This is what's wrong with America. He got us coming to his house every year, and now he's going to charge us money. This is so wrong. And so he's angry, and he's yelling, and the three boys in the back are shrinking and shrinking, and the wife is like looking away. And he said, this is what we're going to do. They had those cars where the windows roll down. When he comes to our window with the bucket, we're going to roll down the window. Then we're going to roll the window up in his arm, and then we're going to break it. And they were like, what? Why would we do that? He's like, well, we don't have to break it, but we can close the window on his arm. So we had this plan. They drive up to the house, and the boys lay down on the floorboards because they can't even handle it. They're so embarrassed. And they roll down the window. And just as he's about to roll it up, the man sticks his bucket into the car and starts to throw candy canes. The bucket was full of candy, candy canes and chocolates. And he said, I just want to thank you so much. I set up this house every year because I want it to be beautiful for you. And I just want to thank you for coming by and seeing the lights. And candy is raining down on them. And nobody says anything because they thought 
that he was trying to take from them, and all he wanted to do was give a little extra. This is how it is with our surrender to God sometimes. We think all God is trying to do is take from us, but what he really wants to do is give us a little extra. He just wants us to remove the things that are standing in the way of his blessings. And we get so mad. I get so mad at God sometimes when I think he's doing something I don't like, and then I see what he's really doing, and I'm so ashamed. I'm sorry I didn't trust you. I'm sorry I didn't believe your promises. But in the moment, we have to believe God's promises even when it doesn't look like it's real. But Mary and Joseph, they choose to believe, and then chaos ensues. The worst chaos of the story hadn't even come into their lives yet. Let me share with you a little bit of the chaos that they experienced. So Jesus comes into our lives to bring order to our chaos, but he also comes to bring chaos to things that we think are in order. For example, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're this elderly couple, they have a kid. Their lives were in order, and it didn't involve a kid. Now they have a kid. Mary and Joseph, they are engaged to be married. Their lives didn't involve having their lives turned upside down, but now it is. And now they have this long journey, a census is called, and Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem. Now that's about a three days walk for a normal person. It probably took more, more around the, a week for a woman in her third trimester. I actually found out it wasn't necessary for Mary to go at all. Joseph probably took her because people in the town were treating her so badly. So she prefers to go with her fiance in her third trimester walk for a week straight in order to avoid that. And once they get there, there's lines and there's stress and it's an overcrowded city and no room at the inn. And sometimes we think of an inn like a hotel. Oh, there's no hotel rooms. Joseph didn't book in time. But actually it's completely possible that that inn was a family home of Joseph's, that he had relatives there and there was no room in their home, not even for him and his wife who's about to give birth. You think your families are dysfunctional? That's pretty messed up too. So they go to a stable, which was either a cave or an open air kind of area, stoned in. And these two first time parents deliver a baby all on their own. No midwives, no sanitation, no help. Mary's never done this, Joseph's never done this, and they deliver a baby. Because God doesn't promise when we obey him that our lives are going to go swimmingly. Jesus, in fact, invites his disciples into a storm. God invites Noah into a flood. He invites Abraham to leave his home that he's known for his entire life to go to a place that I will tell you. God doesn't invite his people into peace all the time. Sometimes God invites his people to surrender, and then chaos ensues. But this is the promise. Philippians 4.13, you may know this in the familiar, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But I love the amplified version which, which reads, I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. God says, I may call you out on the water. I may call you to do difficult things. Things may get chaotic around you and people may never understand. The people in Joseph and Mary's town, they probably never understood that. First century Christians had to explain the virgin birth for hundreds of years before it became an accepted doctrine. They may never understand, but God says, when you surrender to me, you open yourself up to my power and you will be sufficient for anything you face. I will infuse strength into you to face any chaos that comes your way. And then on top of that, something really interesting about this story. Speaking of inconvenience, angels start popping up everywhere. 
they're, they're popping up everywhere. They can't even help themselves. And angels are these big, scary, like soldier creatures. That's why every time they pop up, they're like, don't be afraid because everyone's afraid. And so finally Jesus is born. The surrender has happened and the chaos is going on. And then there's these teenage boys watching sheep. They're probably lying down in the fields, hanging out. And angels burst out of nowhere. <laughs> and they say this, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So these boys, I find it so interesting that God doesn't show up like to the ministers, the pastors, the people who should have been expecting. God shows up to the shepherds because they're there, because they're available. And it makes me see so much how hard it is for us to be available to God. But he says this, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now I have to warn you, I'm about to ruin your Charlie Brown Christmas where it says peace and goodwill to all men. The KJV does say that, but the most accurate and the oldest manuscripts, they say this, all of them say this in the Greek. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. You see, you and I want peace. We just want peace. We don't want the surrender. We definitely do not want the chaos. We just want to skip to the peace. But this is what God is saying. The Christmas story goes this way, and it goes this way in our lives too. First comes surrender, then comes chaos, and then comes peace. Because glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. On whom does his favor rest? God's favor rests on those who are righteous. And righteousness does not mean perfection. It doesn't mean that you never mess up. Righteousness in scripture means that you have a desire in your heart to go after God and you're not gonna let anything hold you back. No relationship, no amount of money, no job, no what one person thinks. God says, you have my favor when you come after my heart. And for those who come after my heart, it doesn't matter what chaos you go through. You can have peace. Surrender, chaos, peace. If we're unwilling to experience the first two, then we can have the answer for why it is so difficult to find peace, not just in this season, but in our lives. See, peace with God doesn't mean that nothing ever goes wrong in our lives. It actually means that all is right between you and God and all is right in your soul. That no matter what you face inside you, you know that you have a rock and a God who is infusing peace into you. There's none of that chaos and frenzy and fear and worry about what's going to happen because you know that no matter what you face even if God takes it all away he is your God he's not your delivery system he's your king he's powerful and in charge that is what peace means and that is the peace that God offers to us this year he offers it to us as we look forward into 2016 with our fears and concerns for what could happen and he offers it this Christmas season Will you surrender to me? Will you step into the chaos? If God calls you to go spend time with that person that sometimes does say that stuff that offends you, if he tells you to go to the family party because the reason they are so miserable to you is because they do not know the love of God, even if they are Christians, if God calls us to forgive, to step out, to take a risk, will we do it? God says, please do it. I'm not trying to take from you. I'm trying to give to you. I'm trying to give to you peace that all the money and all the stuff and everything you can order in your world, you can never achieve this kind of peace except through surrender and going through the chaos with me. Keep the chaos in your Christmas. What I've been practicing as I've been preparing for this, for this sermon is when stuff gets chaotic and I get really stressed out, 
Instead of doing what I usually do, which is try to fix stuff and manipulate the situation so it can work out well, I've just been saying, God, I surrender to you. You're in the midst of this chaos, so I accept it. Right now, what just happened, that really hurt. But you have plans to make that work out good. God, I don't understand why this is happening and I wish it was better. But I trust you, you're my God. So I surrender to you. And I ask you to be with me in the midst of this chaos. This morning as the, as the band comes forward, I wanna invite you to surrender to God and to the chaos that he might want to bring into the things that we think are ordered in our lives. Bring so that he can bring us peace.